Hello and welcome. I'm Joel Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. This is the second in our series from the Somerset Celebration of Literature Festival. In this dual episode, Ian and I are joined by Karen Foxley and Mick Elliott. Karen is an Australian author who writes for both kids and grown-ups. She grew up in the outback mining town Mount Isa and still frequently dreams she is walking barefoot along the dry Leichhardt River there. Her first novel, The Anatomy of Wings, was published in 2007, which won numerous awards including the Dobby Award and the Commonwealth Writers Prize for Best First Book. Her latest novel, A Most Magical Girl, was published in 2016. This episode is focused around the idea of engaging a young audience, and so we start the discussion with Karen about creating a convincing and satisfying mystery within YA fiction. I'll be back in the middle of the episode to introduce Mick to you. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We're coming to you not from the Brunswick Street Bookstore, as you can probably hear from the ambient noise, the lively sounds of humanity walking around and being busy and studious, I imagine, Ian. Mm. But we are coming to you from the Somerset Celebration of Literature Ooh. Festival in the Gold Coast. Can yeah. you believe it, Ian? We're yeah. here. We're here. Can, uh, just, it just I happens. missed my flight. I know. you. He did miss his flight, folks. Yes. So we're glad you made but, it, Joel. But you did ditch me. And I did. you did take your flight. I did. And you got here about an hour and a half before me. That's right. So I've been hanging out with, uh, with the authors and young people here. It's been great. Fantastic. Well, we won't take too much time because we have a limited schedule. And we're jumping straight in with our very first guest for the podcast at the festival. And that's... Karen Foxley, lovely to have you here. Thank you, lovely to be here. Fantastic. Um, Karen, nothing happened in the last 40 minutes, am I right? Like it was in, <laughs> it entirely was, smooth, the most professional so production yeah. that you've ever was, seen, yeah, you know, yeah. better than the ABC. There were no tears. <laughs> no <laughs> tears. I don't have sweat running down my head or anything. No. We're very calm. It's um, but it's, it's great to have you. How has your you. time at the festival been? It's the very first day. Mm. Yeah. Tell us a bit about well, it. Well, I actually started yesterday. I did some there sessions with uh, some kids in Burley at the beach mm-hmm. at a community centre. So kids that normally wouldn't even get to the festival, mm. which was really wonderful. Uh, talking about magic and writing. Oh. And writing magic and the magic of writing. So I had a lot of, a lot of fun so cool. far. And the session today was beautiful too. Great. Kids from grade four to grade seven. Fantastic. So, have you been to the never, Somerset Festival never. before? Never. No. So it's blown me away. Just the, the numbers of kids, the enthusiasm, just yeah. the atmosphere. Really happy atmosphere and really engaged yeah. young people. Fantastic. Well, um, let's let's talk about that engagement. We're mm. jumping straight in, ladies and gentlemen. No waffle about what we've seen in the <laughs> week or movies or the latest Batman movie or anything like that. It's all literature, all the time here. Mm-hmm. And Karen, we're going to talk the first topic. Yes, I'm trying not to sound like a Fox News presenter, <laughs> but it's really difficult. It's a very nice venue here. Yeah, um, and Ian, mm. we both were talking about this, and we were thinking about topics for the guests. Mm. And this is something that you'd probably have more of a connection with than I do, writing mm. more um, mystery yep. sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I believe we've talked to a couple guests about this topic uh, before. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, Karen, and the idea of creating mystery and engagement within uh, whatever it is, a novel, a short story, or a novella, mm. and then um, how do you keep that engagement going? How mm. do you make the audience interested in what you've got to offer, while at the same time, you know, 
not yeah. pushing them too far, not yeah. antagonizing them, not you know speaking down to them. That's a fine line, isn't yeah, it? A very fine line. And I think it's important to say that creating that sort of tension is something that comes quite late in my writing. It's mm, not there right. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So yeah. and you know the first stages of writing are all about just finding an idea that I love mm -hmm. and then starting to explore that idea and basically just wallowing around in yeah. those ideas <laughs> for you know months and sometimes yeah. years so mm. that tension and you know creating a narrative drive that's going to draw people along doesn't actually come till quite late in the piece mm. for me interesting mm. yeah so mm -hmm. the first part is just trying to develop the idea of a storyline mm -hmm. and you mm. know exploring those ideas when I get to the stage that I have a storyline and that's when I can start to look at creating suspense and tension mm. uh, and there's probably a couple ways that I do it and specifically with kids mm. uh, the first would be I think uh, just looking at what tension is, which is your character having a goal yeah. and yeah. then adding some obstacles mm. and that sort of equals mm. tension. So I try and, you know, I start to think about that at that stage. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you can't have that stand out like a sore thumb yeah. either. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's really a very fine line, as you said, mm. you know, because there's nothing worse than reading a book where you can tell, oh, hang on, another obstacle is going to yeah. come up yeah, here, yeah. Yep. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably the first way I try and keep the reader engaged. But the second way would be by just creating incredibly rounded characters. Because if you yep. don't have that, then, mm. you know, Everything readers won't falls. invest yeah. in... Yeah in your characters so they're not going to come on that yep. journey with the obstacles yeah. and the hardships because mm. nobody cares about tension that happens to you know someone a that you don't character. care about exactly yeah. so uh yeah a really fine line between those two mm. i've actually i've been thinking about that a bit uh recently and because uh and it's, it's not not in literature but actually in, in video game narratives that i've played because i have such a love for story I don't generally just play a video game because of its uh, action or whatever. I actually need a good narrative. And yeah. when the character is flat, it just personally loses me. Some of that's probably me as an older... I don't have that much time to invest in video no. games. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go for something that, that brings me along. Yep. And I agree with you with that the flat characters are what lose me completely. That's if, right. if the person hasn't got any depth to them, I don't really care if they make it through exactly. anything. And, and really, you know, when you're thinking about those obstacles that you sort of throw in the path of a character mm. certainly when I'm writing for kids like magical adventure fantasy stories mm. if you you know you've got all the obstacles that are external obstacles that you throw in the way you mm. know dragons and mm. in the yep. most magical yeah. world dragons and mm -hmm. getting becoming a prisoner in a troll kingdom and all yep. these things but there's also all those internal, internal obstacles mm. yep. which are just as important to young people yep. and young readers so with the character in a most magical girl you know she's just an incredible struggle with herself throughout yep. the book you know does she believe in herself you know how is she going to work out this magic that she has mm -hmm. and i think that uh you know helps to create a, a rounded book and mm. one that hopefully readers will want to keep reading and turning the pages yeah I think if I come back now, I'm sorry to drop the HP bomb in the middle of the conversation, <laughs> but I have to talk 
a little bit about Harry Potter because oh, sure. I, yeah. I was thinking about this topic a bit and thinking about what um, J.K. Rowling, for, whether you love or don't love this story so much, one thing that I think she does do really well is that sense of mystery mm-hmm. and in the fact that each story is a mystery in itself mm. as well in, in both a detective style mystery and also there's a sense of a lot of mystery about the um, about the college and I was thinking that in, in that sense a lot of the obstacles that come up they feel very natural mm. now I'm not sure whether all the characters have a lot of depth necessarily but I always found myself really captivated by the way that um, that it made that she made the uh, the it never felt forced the obstacles that yeah. come up they just felt like the next natural yeah. Yeah. piece mm. yeah. and it's something that, I've, that I personally always love yeah, so Talking about the idea of putting obstacles in your way, you talked a little bit about the external obstacles, mm. you know, mm. things that threaten your character mm. um, in a way that tests them and then they come out either worse for wear or it tests their metal and they're stronger mm. for it. Mm. Um, and maybe both of that happens yeah. in, the, in the same story as, as oft is the case. But it's interesting, the internal struggles you mentioned. Um, another thing with tension that I think I've seen done well and also done poorly within books yeah. is the idea that the characters can become too internal. They can okay. be facing mm. so many struggles that we feel that I'll just get on and do something. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and yep. yes. for kids, do you think that's more of an active audience? Do you think um, that drive to make the externals yeah. I think, a bigger deal? Yeah, I think you've, it is a fine line, but I mm. think... You've got to have the um, the the goal, what the that sure. character wants, mm. and those external objects, uh, obstacles. They're the things that are gonna definitely draw a younger reader along, definitely. And they have mm-hmm. to be really quite clear. Certainly, mm. if you're writing yep. middle grade fiction, what's going to happen if that if your character doesn't mm. reach her goal? What are sure. the stakes? You mm-hmm. know. Um, but I think, you know, as long as it's not, as you don't go off track too much, mm. I think kids actually do crave though, that internal stuff. As yep. long as you don't, it, it's, mm. it all comes back to that, that delicate balance. Mm-hmm. Like I think, and certainly playing with pace, you know, you can have your, your external struggles mm. and be building and those scenes are really fast paced, but then you can go off and mm. talk a little bit about the internal mm. struggle as well, or mix yeah. them together. I think it's about mm. knowing the moment to, to pull back the throttle as and well. And it, it sounds like I sort of have that all planned, mm. but I don't, you know, and <laughs> yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. which is the worst part. Yeah. And, you know, it only I don't sort of get a big piece of paper and say, I'm going to yeah. build this tension here mm. and yep. I'm going to, yeah. this yeah. will be internal struggle, that will be external struggle. It's really mm. just through the process of writing and rewriting. And I think, you know, that makes it much more organic and it, yeah. everything sort of slowly falls into place mm. mm-hmm. as I rewrite a thousand times <laughs> and find my way through a story. And I hope it reads as yeah. natural. Interesting. Yeah. Ian, so mm. we're going to talk to you a little bit about this because your personal expertise recently has mm. been writing this kind of stuff quite often. Yeah. And another thing you've put out, it's short plug, but you've... Oh, yeah. Just released a, a new novella. There you yeah, go. And it's fun. a... Yes, Steam. Ste- yes, steampunk novella, steampunk mystery novella. Yes, great. All right. So you had a process of rewriting there as yeah. well, working on tension. I remember we had a couple yeah. conversations about this. Um, yep. 
talk to me about that. You know, how, what was tension a big deal in your story? Was it was fixing it a big deal in your story? Yeah. So it was it was interesting actually because uh, Joel uh, sneakily managed to had a, had a read of the story and he pointed out something really great, which was that when it's, it's called the Clockwork Dungeon, and once they actually sort out the uh, the problem with the dungeon itself, which is kind of the main antagonist in the story. Mm kind of the tension drops because it's like, yeah. oh, we're out of here. You still hadn't ma- hadn't resolved the uh, the main thread of storyline under that. Mm. And it was, an, it was an interesting experience and actually one that caused me a, a lot of uh, of writer's grief. Angst. For, yeah, yeah, angst <laughs> for a while. And, and I think you're right. And because in the rewrite, though, I managed to find the way to continue the tension. But sure. it definitely was a problem because once I dealt with the main kind of chunk of the story, yeah. there was still the important wrapping up. But rather than the story itself um, tailing off into nothing, finding a way to finish strong. Yeah. And I think that I, I learned personally a lot from that experience about uh, about pulling that that narrative thread right the way through yes, and not it letting has it to drop. Be there right to the end. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I guess each writer has their own way of figuring that. Yeah. I know some writers who do do a lot of the the, the physical planning, wall charts. Yeah. yeah, but for every, it doesn't work for everyone. No, and sometimes the thing I do is that quite often I'll start with the ending. That's yeah, the thing yes. that I do, yeah. and. Uh, certainly with my books for young adults and mm. adults, you know, A Midnight Dress, which is really suspenseful, yeah. starts with the ending and mm. a glimpse of something terrible happening and then you're building that tension How do we get all that? the way up yeah. to that point, which mm. is, you know, a device that authors use. And with my two novels for younger readers, it's the ticking clock, you know, there's a race against time and that Mm. that makes it really clear in younger readers' heads Yeah. so Mm. they can gauge, like their cues for where you are in the story, how long have you got, so Mm. they're really Mm. useful And there's a little bit of, you know, worry there when you see this, you know, character getting towards an end and you know it's coming and you're like, no, don't do that. Yeah. um, And then I'm going to throw another (laughs) obstacle in their way and sort of just to ramp up that tension right at the end. So so curiously, and this, you know, there is a through line here to my discussion, but um, I was looking up H.R. Geiger's work on Alien Mm. and looking at his designs of of the xenomorph that was in the first Alien movie. Um, and it's a, an incredibly detailed. I'm interested to see how you pull this together, yeah, but okay, yeah. This, this segue is going to be pretty good. <laughs> That's okay. um, and he describes this incredibly and draws this incredibly detailed, you know, every crevice of this thing. And the HR Geiger's work are very, and it's very morbid and hmm. uncomfortable um, to look at. Hmm. And in, in the movie, in an alien, you see bits of the hmm. monster. You never hmm. see the whole monster no. until really Late towards on. the end. Yeah. Um, and it's that common thing within horrors. You, you, as soon as you show the monster, people stop being scared of it. So I'm, in, so I'm mm. interested in, in the idea of an internal struggle. Mm. How do we do this in an internal struggle? Do we mm. just tell that the audience, oh, he's got a public speaking problem at the start mm. of the story, and then do we try and figure it out? Or how no, do we thread that revealing. in? It's the revealing. It's the slow How do reveal. we show it? Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Uh, and with, uh, you know, in Ophelia and the Marvelous Boy for younger readers... Mm. that is my first book for that age group. There's uh, the character Miss Kaminsky, who's the really kind of nasty Mm -hmm. museum curator, Mm -hmm. who also happens to be the Snow Queen in disguise. So Uh it's revealing, you know, and, you know, knowing when to give those little clues away. Mm. But, yeah, definitely... And I, I think I do it just quite naturally by mm. rewriting and rewriting mm. that I yeah. find those points. When can I reveal this mm. about that character? When can we show the necklace? Yeah. When can yeah. we... Yeah. Mm. 
I think finding finding that way to do it without the information dump, without no, you no know, infam- yeah. just and same with the internal struggle too. Like mm. you have to really not just vomit it all out yeah. onto the page. It's got to be slowly done, mm. and you can go overboard too. You know, you, you know that's Show what editors are for. Yeah. They yep. come and say you've really that <laughs> internal struggle is just too much. Yeah. Like she keeps saying she can't do it and you mm. have to dial that back a bit so mm. and sometimes when you're down in the trenches of writing it all you can't see that you're playing that card too much yeah so I, I think um if i think of a recent example and again it's i'll go for film in this case um in manchester by the sea they do a very good job of, of they don't reveal why the the lead character yeah. is so pained when well, they they do a good job of revealing it very slowly and i, I yeah. thought it was it was well done um in that sense that i never i never by the time it did get to the big reveal and the big information dump about what went right, you were ready for it, about what yeah. went wrong, you were ready for yeah, it, yeah. and you wanted to know. And I think that's that's part of the skill of it, is knowing when you can put that information yeah. out there that someone's like, okay, I'm ready to find out more. And it's I guess it's emotionally satisfying in that yeah. sense yeah. when that moment happens. Interesting. Um, I'm interested in figuring out, you've, you mentioned, you've alluded to, you know, you've, you've, you've pulled your way across the subject of the idea of how you draft. Yeah. Even though that's not quite what we're talking about here. I'm interested. Hmm. Are there problems in the way organic writing that you do? Is, you know, are you a planner or are you a pantser? You know, yeah. you fly by by the seat of your pants. Um, in the idea that during the writing process, do you get to the point where you just can't nail down a specific motivation or threat or yeah. risk? Do you have you, Are there secret manuscripts which you have just yeah. laid aside because you just cannot yeah. do it? Oh, look, I, for, one, for one novel, I will, I'll probably write, it mm. feels like mm. I will write five books worth of mistakes yeah, and right. writing in different directions, mm-hmm. you know. So mm. there's terrible problems with being a pantser, yeah. but <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know how to do it any other yeah. way. And I've yeah. always, I was talking to someone today about another author, how I've always felt that it's such a defect that I can't actually do, I mustn't be a real writer if I can't plot. Another feeling? Yeah, so <laughs> hmm. it's a terrible feeling. And every time when I'm in that initial stage where I am, I call it wallowing, where I just really yeah. am just writing and hmm. I know there's something good in it, but yeah. I can't hmm. nail it down yet and nothing's yep. cemented into place. Hmm. It feels actually quite horrible. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I've got to go the other way because, um, and I, I admire the fact that you can actually push through and keep the, the writing material going. Mm. Whereas for myself, I, I tried it once. I did try to do the Panzer approach once for um, for for a, the second time I wrote in a novella, and it just it just killed me. I learned a lot about myself mm. as a writer because I, I had I'd started out with what happened, but I hadn't figured out how it happened, mm. and I couldn't figure it out. Mm. And it, it took me. It was a long time. Well, not a long, long time. Maybe a couple of months. But for a short <laughs> piece of fiction, it was a long time. Put it that way. And I, I discovered about myself that I personally need those steps laid out yeah. before I can go. So I admire the fact that you can... And I just admire people that <laughs> can plot like that. Mm. Yeah. I think... I just think I always feel that I make a lot of mistakes mm. to get to the end point. But within those mistakes, I find really amazing things you know you you yep. from the big mistakes you make you bring back mm. little mm. parts of the story yeah. that go on to be really important in the story sure. but you seem to have to write a lot yeah. to mm. find the little gems that actually end up as the main story yeah see, and every time i do it i think there must be a better way <laughs> to do this this can't be right karen this i, cannot be I right. completely agree i i'm exa- i have the exact same yeah. problem as you are 
I'll write a bunch of material yeah. and realize that almost none of it is worth yeah. anything. And then I yeah. pick that one thing and I write a short story yeah. and then it's all right. Yeah. But you're thinking, oh, all that work, know, you know? I um, know. I, it's curious because I wrote the first um, series of a, a crime series mm. um, and <laughs> the first book, went really well you know it was three short stories of uh, interconnected is like these mysteries and you know i had this thing going and i thought i've got it yeah i've got it i can just do this i can just write this character <laughs> never change the setting and yeah. i'll be fine yeah second book came along three short stories later and i was like this is garbage <laughs> this is very bad this is really bad work so that has never been released mm -hmm. so people are waiting for the next edition well they probably they probably aren't but the next edition of the Daniel Roth Mysteries and it'll never probably show up until a couple of years later because uh, th mm. they're plotted out in such a intangible manner that yeah. I don't even know what's you going on in the story. So anyway. yeah, there is that frustration. But uh, curiously, within and tailing it back into the idea of tension, um, mm. does that does that affect you as a writer? Like that tension as a writer moving on to the next project? Do you have a bit of PTSD where you go into the project and be like, oh no, not again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always very excited to start a new yes, project because yeah. mm. new ideas are yeah. just amazing and it feels so exciting and yeah. you feel breathless and it's all, it's like falling in love again and yeah. then you get into the wallowing and you're mm. like, oh, I'm here again. And, and yeah. you realise what real life is yeah, and then, you yeah. know, heartbreak and, you know. It's just, but yeah, I'm kind of, as a writer, mm. after four books, I'm really, I'm much more comfortable now that mm. that's my process and yeah. I don't panic I think sure. back in the beginning my books took such a long time to write because I did panic yeah right and I would think well hang on I don't actually know what this story is about so I must yep. give up and as I was forever giving up yeah though you know being compelled to go back again and try to start from the beginning mm. whereas now I'm a lot more comfortable with just with that process Fantastic. Yeah. Anything to add, Ian? No, I think it's good, and I guess in some ways it comes back to the uh, to the the Latin motto of, of know thyself. Yeah, could well be it when it comes to, to finding tension, when it comes to mm. your writing process. Actually, uh, and like in life, or we're getting deep, we're going deep. Like in life, uh, as I leave it, it to as, you. <laughs> as it is in writing, knowing yourself is crucial to the process because um, being comfortable in your own writing yeah. skin, yeah. you you find comfort in that. I think. Oh, a great amount of comfort and every book you take away a new part of yourself that you find yeah. I think that's good a new part. agreed a new all right well Karen Thank it was you. lovely to have you on the very first podcast of mm. this festival um, fantastic thank you I, for having me I hope you enjoy the rest of the festival I'm sure we'll bump each, into each other during the uh, the show and you should come and say hi Thank you. Fantastic. Well, thank, thank you, you, listeners, for listening to this. It will be um, put together with another episode with another exciting writer, and we hope that you can join us for that episode. It'll be coming up right now. And there we go. The upcoming guest is Mick Elliott. Mick is a children's television producer, scriptwriter, and animator. Since 2001, he's worked at Nickelodeon Australia, overseeing award-winning series for kids of all ages. His work at Nickelodeon has won more than 20 international awards, while his animated short films have screened at over 60 festivals worldwide. We change tack from the nerves of mystery and tension to the belly laughs of scatological humor and the weirdness of genetically modified hamsters. It's all about humor in this section as we chat to Mick about engaging a young audience and creating humor they just can't resist. 
As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and today we are at the Somerset Celebration of Literature in the Gold Coast. And I am joined, like always, with Ian Laking. With Ian Laking. Yeah, with. Not just... Alongside. It's okay, yeah, we're there here. There you go, we're bonded. Yep, we're here, yeah. it's good. We've got our John. shades on. We've got sun. our shades on, that's right. I've lost my glass on the ground. Mm. By all chances, it's been trampled by a thousand feet. It's true. And if it isn't, it will soon be. It's likely, it's likely. It is very likely. Mick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Fantastic to have you. So, tell us about your week. How has it been? How has the festival been going for you? Well, this is my first Somerset, and I've heard the legend of the Somerset <laughs> mm. celebration of literature. <laughs> As have I, legend. yes. Yeah, and so, in fact, when, when my publisher uh, first um, released the Turners last year, they mm. said, next year, we have to get you to Somerset. And, mm. and I said, why? Yeah. why? Why is Somerset so important? I mean, well, well, firstly, it's got thousands of kids. It's a great celebration of literature, but they've got Dippin' Dots. Yeah. Ooh. I'd never heard of Dippin' Dots. Dippin' Dots basically are like hundreds this. and thousands in a bowl that you kind of dip your, your spoon into and eat them. Are they good? I'm not convinced. Ooh. Are they good? Well, I've seen a lot of people in them, but, uh, you know, which sounded You've great to me. You've seen a lot of people in uh, the Dippin' Dots. Well, no, no, Mick, not exactly. what's going on? Is this cannibalism? <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe. Ma- maybe that's a new product uh, possibility for the Dippin' Dots Corporation, but uh, <laughs> I haven't tried them yet. I hope to. I mean, I've got to make... There's a fundamental issue that I'm diabetic as well, so right. the whole right, diabetes, yeah. Dippin' Dots... You know, it could be a, a road to disaster, could but be, I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying vicariously other people's enjoyment sure. of the Dipping Dots and literature. It's a lovely combination. I like it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, Mick, we're here to talk about humor. Mm, You're yeah. a remarkably funny guy, so I've heard. Oh, gee, that's pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't you love yeah, it? I, I Say a, something funny. Well, well, I, heard, <laughs> I, I, I heard a story that uh, Steve Martin used to tell where, mm. where people would come up to him and go, Oh, Steve Martin. Oh, just yeah. do something funny, Steve Martin. Oh, goodness. And he'd, be, he'd just uh, basically have these cards pre-printed saying, Don't ask me to... Say do something. Funny. Oh my! Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Smart guy. a lot of pressure, but, um, yeah. but no, look, I, I love writing for kids. Uh, I've worked for over 15 years at Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. and you know, our our brief is to entertain kids. Yeah. And yeah. so I really, when I started writing the Turners, and it was four years ago, I I I'd set out on the kind of journey of writing the Turners. I thought uh, first I wanted to write a book series that boys will like. Yep. So I wanted to be heavily threaded with both sure. action and humor in equal parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what the, this kind of philosophy that I've tried to bring to the Turners is that there's high risk um, yep. situations, there's, there's severe danger situations, but always I'm going to f- try to find the humor. So, mm. you know, a, an example of that would be um, the book basically opens with the main character, Leo. He's 13 years old. He's in the library and he shapeshifts without realizing it into a Komodo dragon. Right. There's mm-hmm. been heaps of books and series about shape-shifting, and it's usually all about the powers that brings yeah, yeah. Yeah. Leo, I want it to be it's more the about... problems. Just the problems. <laughs> yeah, right. He can't control what he turns <laughs> out. So I immediately started to think, okay, if you're in the school library mm. with all your peers you know, on the other side of a shelf, what, what's going to happen? And, and I thought, well, yeah. what's going to be funny is if he immediately tries to go and eat all of his friends and just chaos. Mm. Situational erupts. humor. And, yeah. and then when he turns back to himself um, mm. about 15 minutes later, well, he's, he's actually run across the schoolyard. He's now uh, located himself in the school sports shed, but he's completely naked. Yeah, so right. then what happens? Okay, <laughs> then he's got to find clothes to wear, and he ends up finding this scrappy old like netball tunic and a pair of cricket sure. pads. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And so I'm trying to find the humor in, 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 the, in the high fantasy situation. Yeah, interesting. Great. 
thing. Yeah. Ian, you probably have more experience with uh, coming up with funny bits than I do. Yeah. Talk to us about humor. Like, what is yeah. that to you? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? So I've, I've been reading, uh, recently, I've been reading uh, a bit of Discworld, which has been really interesting. Ah, uh, yes. Well, he's, you know, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Obviously. So it's it's a different type of humor, though, because it's, I think, when I was, so when I was a child, um, one Discworld novel was read to me by a teacher, a very well-meaning teacher, yes. and I, I feel like a lot of it went over my head, and I never really got into it. But recently, I thought, you know what, I want to branch out a bit. I don't normally go that full on with the fantasy I read. Sure. But um, I've really admired, and it's interesting, I think you grow into it, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Mick. But reading the first two books, um, the first book, which is uh, The Color of Magic, you know, it's funny in places, it's good, but it really feels like um, he's kind of exploring, Terry Pratchett's kind of exploring the world. But the second book, from the start, is funny, like laugh out loud funny. And I felt like he just hit his stride. Um, And, you know, personally, I've found it's when I've written funny bits in in books, it, it doesn't, you can't force it. You just kind of got to be there and it's got to be relaxed. Do you f- feel like you grow into it? I, I definitely think so. And it's interesting, uh, that concept of sort of world building, I guess. Yep. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously uh, Terry Pratchett you know, was a genius yeah. at it. And, you know, <laughs> thus the, the many, many um, books that he created in that universe. But, but I definitely found that with, with the reason the first Turner's book took so long, it took four years, just to establish the rules of the world. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you're putting the sand in the sandpit, you've yep. got it there, and then come the second book and, and the third book, which comes out shortly, mm. then you're actually really able to play in that space mm. and, and create yeah. some great funny situations. So mm. with humour, is that something that came naturally to you in your writing? Did you have to um, work at it? Were there particular techniques I, did you have? Or was it just organic? I gosh, I hope it's not sounding pretentious to say that you're going to say organic. Aren't <laughs> you? <laughs> what, 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 what I mean by that is that I, I generally don't take anything sure. terribly seriously, and it's actually it's yeah. a real problem as an adult. <laughs> I have to say, um, it's a good not, problem. Not have. taking life seriously because um, I'm generally just looking for the sure. kind of wry yeah. angle on anything, right? Um, and so, and the, the other thing was, I think. Um, in, in children's literature, literature in the um, in the sort of market that I'm writing for, which is eight to twelve year olds, yeah, yep. you know, there, there's a lot of very very good, very literary books, and often mm. with, with some um, quite deep messages. And I think there's, there's a place for those books, and they're very very important. Yep. But I do also think that that kids at eight to twelve need books that are, are powered by humour. And yeah. so I really I wanted there to be high stakes for the character, but I also wanted it to be like at least on every couple of pages and at least in every chapter there's going to be some situation that's yep. laugh out loud. Yeah. So I yeah. think you know, some of the, some of the um, best films, best books that actually convey a message are where it's actually buried and gift-wrapped inside humour. Yep. So here's an interesting question and I'm not sure if you mm. can answer this or want to answer this. Mm, oh <laughs> However, uh, has there anybody that has come up to you after the book and say, well, I didn't find that very funny? Oh, oh boy! Well, and what did that do to you? Well, <laughs> fortunately, nothing that that um, crushing. Mm. I, what I have had though, because you know, the, the book is you know is about this kid who turns into animals, and so I had to do heaps of research yeah. about different animals. Sure. Right. And um, you know, I liked science and so on as, as a kid, and I you know I go to the zoo with my kids and that sort of thing. But I actually had to do a lot of research into the different animals he turns into. Yeah. And you know, it's a minefield out there because. I've got to make sure that, okay, he turns into a particular animal. Mm. I've got to make sure that he, the things he's doing are actually what that animal can do. And, sure. and there's, there's probably a few little bits in there where I have been called up saying, well, you know what, that particular species oh. of falcon <laughs> that he turns <laughs> into <laughs> couldn't actually carry a human being in That's its That's amazing. Claws, you know? um, <laughs> But hey, you know, it's, it's not usually from the target audience. It that's yeah. a different kind of funny. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Dang Falcon Society. Yeah. Every time, I swear. I know, right? <laughs> Can't stand those people, my nemesis. <laughs> Nemeses. That's good. Um, I, I have to ask you as well, because it's, it's, it's interesting thinking about humor as well. Uh, do you think it's changed? Do you, th- do you feel like what you're writing, would you... F- 
and this you may not be able to answer this exactly, but yes, work with me on this. Do you I feel am. like you'd be <laughs> laughing at what you're writing now as a kid? Do you feel like that, that humour's changed over the years since um, we were growing up? I think there are fundamental things that remain, remain. Yeah. funny. You know, yeah. and I'm sure... I'm sure that when the first caveman farted at a campfire, <laughs> all these other cavemen were like, yeah. you know, and, and so... Yeah. I, I and that remains I, funny. Absolutely. And, mm. and so I, I think so. So even though the technology may change, the world may change, I still think that... Yeah. And, and you know, that, that's why all, all those clip shows of people, you know, running into fences and stuff, it's so yep. funny. It's so fundamental, mm. um, you, you know, rules of comedy, things that remain funny. So very, very much the sort of humour that uh, I really tried to thread through the Turners was very... Very scatological, very slapstick style <laughs> yep. humour, but still, you know, in, in the framework of high stakes for the for the lead character. Um, if I can ask you, coming off that, what's something as a writer that you that you what's the part of the process that you feel you struggle the most? Like, what's the the part where you really feel like uh, you've got to really focus to get through? Yes, to say? there's two things that I, I probably struggle. One is actually just um, the time. One is literally yeah. just going. For the, for the next hour, I'm going to do nothing but sit here and, and, and get these words on the page when yep. there's so much you know, social media to be looked at and yeah. so much food to be eaten and, <laughs> and so many other distractions in life. Yep. Um, so that, that's, that's the first thing, I, I would think. Mm. Um, sorry, what was the question again? No, just <laughs> what the parts do you struggle with the most? Oh, I know, you know, this, is, this is probably like the worst crime you can admit to as a writer, mm. but plotting. All right, yep. Because you know the, the book, um, it's short chapters. They're all cliffhangers. Yeah. yeah. But just, just the. I think some authors can just work out in their heads. I know exactly where this is going to go, yep, and yep. I know what each stage the character has to go through. Mm. You can plot it all out and can know, and then they're basically filling in the blanks as they go. Whereas um, yeah. I'm much more organic, and it's a very uneconomic way to write because mm. the Turner's books are about fifty thousand words. Yeah. For the first one, I think I probably wrote about one hundred and fifty thousand yep. words. A hundred got thrown away just because I was going in directions that the plot. Yep, it sure. Didn't actually work. Yeah. So you just, just the basics of plotting. I'm very good at like uh, episodes and, mm. and and plot, um, you know, kind of concepts, but not in the overarching. But I, I got there in the end with the help of very good editors. So here's an interesting thing. And in talking about things that you struggled with, yes. was there any parts, uh, scenes of humor, or specific things that you thought, oh, that sounds great. And then later on, you're like, ah, it just doesn't land. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And actually, in, in the next book that comes out. Um, uh, Fully Doomed, which is the, the final book in the Turner's trilogy. Um, there was a, basically, it's an international adventure for the characters. They have to go off mm. uh, overseas to other countries to try to uh, deal with a, a terribly, terribly awful baddie. Mm -hmm. And um, my, my wife and daughter had actually been to, to Europe recently and had this great story about this hotel they stayed in and how they kept them referring to Wi-Fi as Wi-Fi. Right. Was free Wi-Fi. <laughs> and I just thought that was hilarious. And so I yep. wrote this whole sequence of the characters get to this hotel yeah. and there's yeah. this crazy hotelier who's got this ridiculous French accent and she keeps right. talking about the free Wi-Fi. And I just thought it was hilarious. And, and my, my publisher went... Look, it's funny, but it doesn't actually propel the plot sure. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. the big red pen came out and we just struck through oh. about 3,000 words. Oh. Did that and, and hurt? Um, oh, I'm very pragmatic mm. about writing. And again, that yeah. just comes from working in TV sure. for so many years. And you can't be precious yep. about it. Yeah. You, know, you cannot indulge mm -hmm. at all as a writer. You have to always be focused on sure. what is going to make the reader want to turn the next page. Mm. And if you're indulging in some scene or some chapter that you just really like, yeah. you've, you've lost you've touch with, what, yeah. you know, with your reader. You've got to be thinking about that the whole time. That's great. Fantastic. Uh, moving on to the idea of humor in modern media today. Mm, yes. Where do you think that's going? Do you think we've reached an equilibrium where all humor is equal? <laughs> or is there some things that you just um, think, man, I don't know why people find that funny? 
Oh, gee, I don't know. That's, that's a really, really hard question. <laughs> that's a really hard question because, I, I mean, I think that the sort of, I, I think what, what is interesting nowadays is that the, um, the platform for content to be um, received and consumed by people has completely changed. Yeah, and, sure. And you, you know that everyone is now carrying a you know, broadcast receiver in their pocket. Yeah. And so that, that has created this platform where humor can spread around the world but, but I, I, look, I still think, like I said earlier, that there are fundamentals of things that are funny that will always remain funny. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever seen anything funnier than this clip that's going around at the moment of the BBC expert oh, yeah. whose kids, you know, via the Skype interview, kids Those come into kids. the room. Now, the, the greatest Hollywood script writers in, yep. in history could not have yeah. manufactured yep. something as funny as that. Yeah. Yep. And it's totally organic. Yep. And everything about it in terms of timing, in terms yep. of setup, is perfect. Yep. It's perfect. Uh, I've got to say, actually, just, just if we can dwell on that for a second, yes. that clip, which by the time people listen to this may well have gone already. Yeah, but probably months ago. It's, uh, what I loved about that is the escalation in the scene yes. works so well. Like, it starts off with man sits in front. You can imagine it as a screenwriter writing. Yeah, ma man in formal attire sits in front of camera. Yeah. Child comes yeah. yeah, child comes in, starts dancing madly. Second child comes in in the in the walker. The ba baby, yeah. he shouldn't really be able to move at all. Yeah, Just pretty much. charges so coming in, there. in in their little baby walker. The baby walker, and then mother frantically, in almost a comical way, comes yeah. around the corner, scrambling, like a whirlwind. and drags children out. Man maintains straight a face the entire time. Straight face, and 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 yeah, I mean, it's some of the greatest physical comedy I think I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it, and I just couldn't believe it. And and the reason you're right, that it just it connected with something, right? And I think we can all relate to a moment when it's meant. To, this is my a big opportunity for me, big series, and then just everything goes wrong. Yes. Fantastic. And, and, and just that concept of lifting the curtain. You know, we're watching a boring... Yeah. Boor no, people half engage in those yeah. news uh, interviews and it's an expert. And, yeah. Yeah, and then suddenly... You've, and and, and this, is, this is definitely something I've tried to do in the Turners and with the whole concept of a school library, it's a sort of boring situation yeah. at the side of the book. And suddenly this kid turns into a Komodo dragon. So you're introducing elements Flips that the situation shouldn't be there. Over. And that's exactly what I yeah. loved about that BBC mm. viral clip, that you yeah. flipped the situation from what was a boring, mundane piece of content you thought was one thing. Suddenly it turns into this All, physical everything, slapstick. Yeah. All bets are off. The, the veneer, the curtain gets lifted. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's yeah, great. Good. Final comments about humor. Ian, let's start with you. Yeah, I think, I think the fundamentals that uh, Mick's been talking about are absolutely true. Um, and I love the fact that we kind of ended on something that's just you know, very recent, which yes. comes past, to prove the fact that, yeah, lifting the veil can still be just as funny as it was way back in the day. I love it. Fantastic. Mick, any thoughts? Um, I, look, I think, to go back to our earlier panel, I think there are some things that will always be funny. Mm. We will always laugh at people hitting themselves in the nuts, let's face it. Yeah. Um, we will always <laughs> laugh at people falling over. Uh, we'll always laugh at people farting inappropriately. And yep. that's, that's really, th those really are the, the rules of, uh, of um, humor. <laughs> the humor. basic human condition. That's as much as you need. Yeah. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> Mick Elliott, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Mick. Um, Mick, it's been great to have you on. Why don't you tell us what you've got coming out for us? Any social media links? Sure. Anything like that? Absolutely. So um, my series, The Turners, The Turners Trilogy, um, book one and two, The Turners and The Turners Camp Freakout uh, in stores right now. You can also get a free ebook, which is uh, The Turners, The Scorpion Plan. You can get that on all the usual ebook um, services. And uh, if you want to check me out on social media, you can um, check out my Instagram account, which is at whatmixor. It's at whatmixor or my website, mickelliot.me. Fantastic, Mick. It's been lovely to have you on. I'm going to be sure to catch up later. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good Thanks, one. Mick.